put, some, put your name, address, who you are. Uh, if, if you have any prayer requests, you can do that on the back side of this. Uh, we're going to receive our offering tonight. If, um, and if you're one of those people that wants to fill those out, you can place it in the offering. But there are some bags uh, or offering plates on the inside aisles. If you guys want to grab those and pass them to the outside aisles. And if you get the, uh, the offering bags on the outside there, you can just hold on to those. And our closing song, you can bring those up and put them on the black bins here. Um, this has been a lot of fun for me. I have really, really enjoyed uh, this series on the Beatitudes, this just in. Uh, last week, wow, unbelievable, amazing. Uh, and, and as you leave, actually, the painting that was created last week uh, is, is against the back wall. So we'll turn up the lights and you can take a look at that. But uh, it was... That, that really doesn't even do it justice because it started as something that looked totally different to that. And we're going to try and have that online here, uh, hopefully this week. So if you weren't here, you could at least see the process uh, that the painting went through. But that was incredible. But I've had a ton of fun with this whole Beatitudes series, and I'm excited about tonight. Uh, just in review, some things that we, we've talked about so far in this series on the Beatitudes. You have to remember that the Beatitudes, of course, uh, are a counterintuitive announcement that Jesus makes. So this is Jesus. He gathers on a hillside uh, with a whole bunch of folks. And there's all kinds of people that gather. People from Jerusalem. People from uh, Judea. People from the Decapolis, which was a region that Alexander the Great settled. All kinds of people are gathered and they're following and they're interested in this Jesus guy. And so they all gather and he begins to teach. And it's what he does is announce something about the nature of God and the nature of his kingdom. So it's this idea of Jesus announcing and declaring something that's true about God and the kingdom that he's talking about, right? The kingdom of God we hear so often in the Gospels. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. Luke and Mark and John call it the kingdom of God. But Jesus is declaring something about the nature of this kingdom. Um, Oftentimes when we read scripture, we want to apply it. We want to say that's what we should do or we should move our lives in that direction or we should try to attain whatever Jesus is talking about. And that's really not what's going on in the Beatitudes. He's not giving us a prescription for life. Like you should try to be poor in spirit and you should try to be meek and you should try to mourn because then you'll have God's blessing. That's not what he's doing. He's announcing something that's true about God and the nature of his kingdom. He's saying... God works in this way, and it's counterintuitive. Remember, we talked about water skiing. If you've ever water skied before, in order to get up and move forward in water skiing, you're, you actually have to like lean back and stay down because then the skis do the work and you pop up. It's again, it doesn't it doesn't make sense in our heads. Like in order for me to get up, I should try to get up and try to move forward. But that's not the way water skiing works. Likewise, this whole idea of the Beatitudes, it's counterintuitive. You think that God would work in this way. You think that God would be with these people. You'd think that the blessing, the I am with you, the favor of God would be with certain types of people in the world. The religious folks, those who have it together, those who know uh, the rules and they, they, they apply them and live, live by them. And Jesus says, that's not, that's not the way things work. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the people who have, who, who, who have no hope in and of themselves because in that moment, in those places, God meets you. And so the Beatitudes become more about the places in, where, the places in which God meets us and then the latter half of the Beatitudes moves towards the places then we meet people in our lives. So uh, we've talked a, about a few of those things. 
we've talked about the fact that if we're going to understand Jesus, we have to understand him in his original context. We don't have a hope. We don't have a chance. We don't have uh, a snowball's chance, and you know where, to understand Jesus if we don't understand him at the ground level from a first century Jewish rabbi or traveling teacher wandering around the ancient Near East. We have to understand what he's doing from that perspective if we have any hope of understanding what Jesus is saying. And oftentimes, Jewish teachers, these people that would travel through the countrysides and who would stop at town to town and and talk about the Torah and the law and, and Judaism and what it meant to follow God, these teachers would often, and it was an art form, it was something they actually sought after, they would attempt, they would try to speak at many different levels. So while they're telling one story here, they would actually be telling yet another story in and through the story that they're telling. And it's this kind of subversive communication style that hits you at all different levels in all kinds of different places. And it's my, my, my submission, my uh, belief that it's no different with this beatitude tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. It's the first of the, the Gospels in the New Testament. I think I actually marked it. There it is. Matthew chapter 5. And actually, why don't you stand with me if you can. We're going to read starting in verse 1. It says this, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Pray with me. Jesus, God, Spirit, as we gather tonight and as we look into your word, as we try to understand what it is that you said 2,000 some years ago, written down by some guy, uh, and yet inspired, divinely authored by you and, and through your spirit, as we attempt to understand this, God, would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes to see what it is that's here in this text? And God, would you... Take this static, black and white, two-dimensional words on these pages, and would you make them 3D? Would you enliven them? Would you speak through them to us today and be the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus that comes off the pages of this book and encounters us in this moment here tonight? We pray and we anticipate in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. If, in fact, Jewish teachers would speak at off, uh, many different levels and try to say different things at different, uh, diff- in different ways, I want to just look at a couple of the different levels that I think Jesus is speaking when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So the first, I would say, uh, is related to this. God and life in his kingdom, right? If the Beatitudes are a counterintuitive announcement about the nature of God and the nature of his kingdom, one of the ways in which Jesus is speaking is he's trying to tell us something about this God that he's speaking about, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Israelites, and what life in his kingdom, what life following him, what life submitted to this God really looks like. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, You have to understand a couple of things about the Jewish mind and the Israelites and the people who heard this first, okay? Lots of Jewish people in the audience, and so they know the stories, they know the narratives, they know the things that would have been talked about, passed on from generation to generation. They didn't write stuff down back then. 
when this stuff all happened, the Old Testament. Actually, the Jews were a, a oral um, group of people in the sense that what their history was passed on through oral transmission, not written down stuff. Until Moses came along and he decided to write down the law, they didn't write it down, but they would pass it on from generation to generation, from father to son and to son and to son, and it was all done through stories. Really, really fascinating stuff. If you were to study this, the, the, the accuracy at which they transmitted this information is absolutely crazy from our perspective when we think about the written word. So they would pass this stuff on orally and through stories and narratives. So these are the people who are gathered in this audience and many others who are familiar with the Jews. And they would have known, they would have understood the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. One of those books is called Deuteronomy, which the name means Deutero and Namas, the second giving of the law, right? So if the first giving of the law comes with Moses and, 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 and Sinai and the Ten Commandments and all that, Deuteronomy is a recapturing or a recounting of the law, and it's sort of the second giving of the law. It's the recapitulation of this covenant that God has made, and it's this way in which the Israelites were supposed to live where? in the land that God had given them. So in Deuteronomy, you have this progression, okay? You have the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And out of Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. And so they go through water. And they go through the wilderness. And when they get through the wilderness, they find themselves at the edge of the land, right? This is the, the story of Joshua. They, they find themselves at the edge of the land that God promised them. And God says, go in and take it. And they, nah, I don't know if I should. Nah, 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 nah. You know the story. And, and then eventually they go into the land. And this book, the Torah, this, this law is the covenant or the way in which life was supposed to happen in the land. Right? So you have out of Egypt, through water, at the Red Sea, through the wilderness, at the land, and then into the land, and this word, the, the Deuteronomy, this law, becomes that which governs life in the land. This is the way God's people and God's kingdom should look. You tracking so far? Matthew does exactly the same thing. He starts in chapter 2 of his gospel, and he says that Jesus comes out of where? Out of Egypt, I will call my son, right? Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt, and they come out of Egypt. Matthew makes it very clear that he wants us to know that. Why? Because he's connecting the stories. He's, he's tapping into this narrative that they know. And he's saying, Jesus comes out of Egypt. And what happens at the, one of the first things that Jesus does? You guys know this? Who does he go see out in the desert? At the River Jordan. John the Baptist. At which point he gets baptized, right? Out of Egypt. Into water. Then where does he go immediately following his baptism? Into the wilderness. And then in Matthew's chapter 3 and 4, or at the end of chapter 4 really, you have Matthew showing Jesus coming into this geographic location, which happens to be what? The land that God had promised the Israelites. Matthew takes the reader, the audience, the listener, at the Sermon on the Mount through the exact narrative that the Jews would have understood in the book of Deuteronomy. So he's talking about God and, the, the, and what it looks like to live in this kingdom. And so the Sermon on the Mount, this is where it gets crazy and cool. The Beatitudes become this new way of life that Jesus says, you have heard it said this, and, but I say this, right? You've heard this, but I say this. Jesus is saying, this is, this is 
God's people, and I'm redefining God's people around myself, and this is what life in the kingdom, this is what life in the land looks like. And it's upside down. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense at all. The nature of this kingdom is backwards and upside down. The question that Jesus answers in this beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The question is, who gets the earth? I mean, who gets the stuff? Who, who gets ahead? Who gets the possessions? Who wins in the end? Who, who, how, how do you get ahead? How do you get your... It's a good thing we're not asking that question anymore, right? <laughs> who gets the earth? That's the question that they're asking then. I mean, how do you really be successful? How do you really get ahead in the game? How do you really get God's blessing? How do you... Who gets the earth? How does the earth get carved up? If the earth is, if we all live here and we can't all have it, then who gets it? And how does it get carved up? Who gets the inheritance? Who gets the profits? Who wins? Who gets the goods at the end? There's two places in scripture that, that this, this idea of inheriting the land is talked about. One is Isaiah chapter 60. And there's a, there's a, a, a book called the Mishnah, which is a commentary on the Jewish law. And in the Mishnah, in a book called Sanhedrin, it says this about Isaiah 60. All Israelites have a share in the world to come, for it is written, your people shall all be righteous, they shall possess the land. That's one, one place where it talks about this idea of inheriting the land. I'm going somewhere with this, so stick with me. Psalm 37 is the other place in which the scriptures, it talks about inheriting the land. And the beginning of Psalm 37 says this, essentially, don't worry and fret, people of God. Though it looks like the wicked are prospering, though it looks like those, the people who shouldn't be winning are winning, don't fret, don't worry, don't be anxious, because this will fade. And what will, who will get the earth? The psalmist says that the meek will inherit the earth. When we talk about who gets the earth, who gets the world, who, who gets ahead, if we're talking about our lives in our day and age, I mean, how do you win? Who gets ahead? How do you, how do you get the points? How do you get ahead? How do you, the people who are rich, the powerful, the resource, the network, the presidents and the vice presidents, the board members, the shareholders, the landowners, the people that work really hard and pull their bootstraps up, those who can work the system the best and throw the elbows at just the right time and step on just the right people, those are the people who get ahead. They're the sharpest, the quickest, the savviest. Those are the people who get the earth, right? The people who know how to work the system. And Jesus, in an instant, he taps into something that the audience would have already heard in the Old Testament, and they're thinking, because who's in charge in Jesus' day at this moment when he's on the Sermon on the Mount? Who's in charge? The Romans are in charge. Pagans, the evil, wicked Romans are in charge. And the Jews are all standing around saying, this is, the meek don't inherit the earth because the earth's getting carved up and we're not getting any of it. The Romans are getting it. They walk in, they roll over, they take their military and they just roll over anything that gets in the way. The powerful, the rich, the resourced, they get the earth. And Jesus says, no, let me remind you about God and his kingdom and the nature of his kingdom, those people don't inherit the earth. The meek inherit the earth. 
The, the word meek that, that he uses, one author translated, translates it as the humble and gentle attitude which expresses itself in a patient submissive or submissiveness to offense, which is free from malice and desire for revenge. So it's this patient and submissive person who doesn't want to get back and doesn't want to throw the elbow and doesn't step on the person's head. That's what meek means. These people in our world, they don't inherit the earth. They get the snot kicked out of them in the boardroom, on the playground, and anywhere else in the world, right? You, You know this. I've been one of those people before. I've been on the receiving end of that. The meek don't get the earth. And Jesus says, no, the meek inherit the earth. Jesus, the most accurate representation of God and the character of this God, says, no, the meek do inherit the earth. The meek, the poor in spirit, the weak, the lonely, the under-resourced, those who have no hope in and of themselves, and everyone you would never expect get the earth. Good news, gang! Good news! The B team, the the non-varsity folks, the JVs, the losers, the dropouts. Yes! I was a terrible hockey player. I was on varsity, but I just got beat up all the time. I was the smallest guy out there. I mean, yes! Awesome! I love this guy! The meek get the earth. And Jesus, at one level, is reminding the audience about this God and the nature of this God, and the nature of life in his kingdom. He says, the people who live in the kingdom live like this. God finds these people there, and he meets them there. So I would say at one level, he's talking about God, and he's talking about the nature of his kingdom, and life in his kingdom. I would say second, do we have that clip, by the way? We're going to give it a shot. Okay, the video on this, guys, is so good that you're going to go home and you're going to be really, really mad. You're going, to, you're going to be covetous of what we've got here at the church because I'm telling you, the video on this is awesome. The second thing, the second level, I'm going to, I'm going to entitle uh, something that I think you'll get once we watch this clip. So let's go ahead and roll that if we've got it.
That was made in 1985. Things move a little slower back then. Huh? It took like four minutes to, to do what they would do in 10 seconds now. Of course, the movie is Back to the Future, one of the great films of the 80s, Back to the Future, in which Doc, what was that guy's name? Doc, uh, Doc Brown, right? There we go. Uh, sends Marty McFly back in the past, and at this point, he's trying to get back to the future, right? And the clock strikes, and 1.21 gigawatts. You guys, <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. The Grammys are tonight, the Oscars will be coming. Okay, uh, I think Jesus essentially, and, and track with me on this one, he's, he's tapping, he, at one level, he's talking about this idea of back to the future, or God's promised future, uh, last week, we talked about Isaiah 61. If you have your Bibles, turn there. And I want to read just a couple of things from Isaiah 61 and a place we went uh, last week as well, Jeremiah 31. So Isaiah 61, God's promised future. So if you're a Jew and you have the Old Testament, there are a group of people called the prophets. And the prophets come on the scene and they say something about God and what he's promising in the future. And you're hanging your hat on this one because you're, you've been taken off to Babylon and the Assyrians have gotten you and now the Romans have gotten you. And so for you as a Jew, you're hanging on this one because this is the promised future of God that he says this will come, a day will come when this will happen. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's uh, anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom to the captives, bind up the brokenhearted, release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Further on it says, you will comfort all who mourn, provide those who, for those who grieve, and bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Flip to the right, one book, Jeremiah chapter 31. This is God's promised future to the Israelites, that one day... Though there's weeping and mourning now, that one day God will come back and he will do something. In verse 12 of Isaiah, or Jeremiah 31, he says, They will come and they will shout for joy. On the heights of Zion they will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil. Further down, he says, The maidens will dance and be glad. Young men as well as old, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Back to Isaiah chapter 50. This is the last Bible trivia. Isaiah 55. This is God's promised future, and he says this. This is what it's going to be like in the kingdom when God comes back. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money. Come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what's not your bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen and listen to me. Eat what is good. Your soul will delight in the richest of fare. The upside-down kingdom that the Old Testament talks about in Isaiah and Jeremiah and again in the Psalms in, in chapter 37, which we talked about already, uh, it's upside-down, and this is exactly the kind of kingdom, this is exactly the kingdom that Jesus speaks about when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the same kingdom he's talking about, and he is the person who inaugurates or begins or enacts, or sets the, the, the clicker, he starts the button uh, with his life, death, and resurrection. So Jesus says, God's promised future has come to the present. 
If you're in the Sermon on the Mount and you're on the hill, Jesus stands there and he says, God's promised future, what we long for and hope for, has come to the present, has come crashing back into our present. And this is the kind of kingdom that anyone who is in Christ is a part of. And what will be in the future. Those who heard it first, Jesus was essentially saying that God's, that God's future has come back into their present. And, and people who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who, are, who mourn, those who are in tune with how much this world hurts and how much our hearts are broken and how much we need to be saved from it, these are the people you will find in this kingdom. And so for us tonight, if this whole back to the future thing, follow the timeline here. Jesus is still saying today to you and to me, that God's promised future, which began, which was inaugurated at the cross, God's promised future has come back to the past in Jesus for us. So our present can be uh, enlivened with, invigorated with, instilled with this future kingdom that's coming. You can live this way now, Jesus says, because the future of God has come to our present. And he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those, for theirs is the kingdom of God. For theirs is the earth. Jesus says, essentially, that what God promises in the future, when one day all will be made well, when there will be no more no more uh, crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. The cross has started that. It inaugurates that. And Paul talks about that. That's how the Spirit of God, when, when we say yes to Christ, the Spirit of God comes in us, which is the down payment on what is to come. It's the, it's the deposit. It's the guarantee of what will be. That's good news, gang. That is good news. That the people who step on others and who throw the elbows and the rich and the powerful, they don't get the earth. They don't inherit the kingdom. That's good news. I would say thirdly and lastly that Jesus speaks at this level. And he's talking about heaven and he's talking about earth. Let me just ask you a question very quickly. How can the meek inherit the earth if there is no earth to inherit? Many of us have been taught that post-mortem, after we die, we go to heaven, which is a spiritual state and has nothing to do with the physical earth here. In fact, this earth goes away. I think that's not biblical. And that's not good. How can the meek inherit the earth if there's no earth to inherit? Either Jesus is a liar... Or he's talking about some word, he uses some word that talks about something else. We've got a couple options, right? Either Jesus wasn't talking about the physical earth. The word he used isn't talking about the physical earth we live in, right? But if you look at the Greek, that's not the answer. The word that's used is translated most often earth, world, country, region, land, ground, soil. Physical, okay? The meek will inherit the earth. But if there is no earth, how can the meek inherit it? Other option, maybe Jesus is tapping into some Jewish narrative. We've been talking a lot about this, right? Maybe Jesus is talking about something that the Jews believed about the earth that, that has something to do with this, right? Psalm 37, the meek will inherit the land. Again, same word in, in Hebrew. 
uh, and enjoy great peace. Numbers chapter 14 talks about, he says, uh, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went into and his descendants will inherit it. Option three, which I think is a better one. Heaven and earth, at some point in the future, are the same physical location. Track with me. Remember back to Eden in Genesis chapter 1, right? You have harmony, you have uh, God's intentions and his hopes and his dreams happening in creation with the relationship between Adam and Eve and God, Adam and Eve's relationship with each other, and the world that they lived in, right? This was a physical location where God's hopes and dreams for the world were real. I would call that heaven or the kingdom of God as, as the gospels like to call it. What we're looking forward to in Revelation 21 and 22 is when heaven, right, the rule, or, or when Jesus says, uh, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Revelation 21 and 22, what you see is the new Jerusalem or heaven and earth coming and becoming one place again, where God's rule and his reign is real in our physical place, in our world that God created. So when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, he's not talking about some bizarre, you know, outlandish, otherworldly thing. He's saying that when God rules and reigns again, and, and you, can, you can take me up on this and we can work it out biblically. I don't have all the time in the world to do that because I smell pizza right now. And, uh, and I've already been going for a while. In the end, in Revelation 21, the picture that we get is heaven, God's, God's intentions, God's rule in his reign, and earth, the physical place where we live, become one. They become married uh, again. It's almost like we see a husband and a wife who are two things, and they come together in marriage, and they become one flesh, right? The Bible talks about that, doesn't it? It's almost like uh, maybe like Jesus as the groom and his church as the bride uh, coming together as one at one table, at one feast, the picture that we get biblically, blessed are the meek, for they, they will inherit the earth. Jesus says the kingdom of God, what will happen in the future when God rules and reigns again and he is Lord over everything, those who will inherit the earth and the place where God rules and reigns heaven are not the folks who throw the elbows who step on others, the powerful, the rich, the resourced. Everybody that our world thinks will get the earth. Jesus says it's different than that. It's upside down. It's counterintuitive. The meek will inherit the earth. And so Jesus stands on a hillside in a multitude, around a multitude of people, and he says, blessed are the meek. Let me share some good news with you that the way in which you think it works and the way in which everybody thinks it's got to happen, it's not the way the kingdom of God works. The poor in spirit and those who mourn and the meek can see and hear and taste and touch and participate in the kingdom because this is where God meets us and says, I am with you. My, my blessing, my favor is here. And this is the life that we're called into. And so for those of you who are here tonight, uh, who, who maybe 
think, you know, the world's getting carved up and I'm not sure I'm getting any of it. And, I, uh, and I'm a little concerned about that. Uh, or, or who think that the way in which uh, God works is he blesses all the people who have it all together and the people who have it together and who obey all the rules and, and then God says, God bless you. According to the Beatitudes, God says to you in your brokenness and to you in your poor-spirited position, I am with you and I am near you. And for those who have eyes to, to see and ears to hear, he says, come and follow me. Be a part of this, this kingdom. Live this now. What will be in the future is lived out now in those who follow Christ. And that's the invitation that Jesus gives as he stands on a hillside. So I'm not sure where that hits you tonight, but I trust that the Spirit is at work and, and maybe communicating something. So let me close in prayer. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and we'll sing one more song together. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, your word is, is just a treasure chest. It, every time that we get to look at it and study it, I'm amazed at the ways in which you continue to reveal yourself to us and show yourself to me, to me and to us as a community. God, we want to be about uh, following Jesus. We want to be about... Uh, the, we want to emulate and we want to, we, when, peop, when, we, when people look at us, we want them to see the character and the nature of you, God, and the nature of your kingdom. Would you make that uh, happen? Would you make that possible in our midst? As we interact with other people, as we uh, love our neighbors, as we go to family gatherings, as we go to work, God, by your spirit, would you empower us to be people of your kingdom? And as we do, and the people we come in contact with. Uh, may we be so uh, privileged to announce blessing. There's good news that Jesus has come and he offers a new way of life that's maybe backwards and upside down and doesn't make sense, but it will. It will. And God, we look forward to that.